The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Straight-Talking, No-Bullshit Business Radio Show. We had a great response to last week's show. It was about how important passion, perseverance, and commitment are to your business success or any success that you might enjoy. Passion produces, increases productivity, increases staff loyalty, creates innovation, improves customer service, customer loyalty, and drives word of mouth and decreases your marketing costs. So if your team all have the same passion as you, then success is all but guaranteed. But remember, passion is driven from the top down and requires a special quality of leadership. So if you want to be successful, be passionate about what you do. Now, the sole purpose of this show is to help you to run a successful business. It's small business and entrepreneurs that build America. And it is small business and entrepreneurs that will get this, get us out of this mess that we're in. We can't rely on the Democrats, the Republicans, or any of the three totally incompetent and polarized levels of government to solve our problems. They're just likely to make them worse. And we can't all be good at everything. So this show and its guests give you tips that can help you mold to your circumstances to help you succeed. And we really want your feedback. I want you to write to me, email me, tweet me, become my contact on LinkedIn, go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe to my newsletter. Tell me what you think. Share your ideas, your criticisms, and your praise, and let me know what you would like me to talk about. Today, I'm going to talk about a great marketing tool that helps you while it helps others. Cause-related marketing has grown rapidly in recent years. It came to prominence as an effective marketing tool when American Express partnered with a non-profit group that was raising funds to restore the Statue of Liberty. American Express gave a portion of every purchase through their credit cards and an additional amount for every new credit card customer. The company supported this with a $4 million advertising campaign. The results were excellent. The restoration fund raised around about $4 million, I think, and American Express card use rose 27%. 
More importantly for American Express, new card applications increased 45%, all in a three-month campaign. This was a real win-win situation. The non-profit received the funds it needed. American Express increased sales of its product and achieved a reputation for social responsibility. American Express even trademarketed the term cause-related marketing. Now, companies right across the spectrum are embracing what is called doing well while doing good. Cause-related marketing is now the principal way that businesses demonstrate their social responsibility. Cause-related marketing spending now exceeds more than $2 billion every year. According to the Cone Millennial Case Study, 89% of Americans aged between 13 and 25 would switch from one brand to another of a comparable product, of course, if the latter brand was associated with a good cause. The same study also indicated that a significant percentage surveyed would prefer to work for a company that was considered socially responsible. This can be linked to the increase in workplace giving programs in America. Now, other studies by Cohn indicate an upward trend in the number of Americans who associate their own buying habits with cause marketing, as well as an expectation that the companies that they deal with are good corporate citizens. So how does cause marketing work? There are many versions of cause-related marketing, but at its core is an agreement between a corporation and a non-profit to raise money for their particular cause. The corporation expects to profit by selling more products and by enjoying the halo effect of being a good corporate citizen. A cause-related marketing program is one that tells the product that this corporation is socially responsible and has the same values as its customers. The non-profit benefits not only financially, but also it gets a higher public profile because of the corporation's marketing efforts. There are many forms of cause-related marketing campaigns, and some of the more popular ones I'll just cover very quickly. Purchase Plus. In this campaign, the checkout person asks a customer if they would like to add a donation to their bill. I'm sure we run into this quite often. The amounts are usually set low enough for most people to say yes. At my supermarket, it's usually around a dollar. And so nine times out of ten, I'll just contribute the dollar. So they're easy to set up. They're easy for people to respond to and they can happen very quickly, say, in response to a natural disaster. Second form of um, cause-related marketing is licensing of the non-profit's logo, brand and assets. This, um, this enables the company to get a reflection of the good image of the non-profit. And this can include using the logo on promotional items, um, T-shirts, mugs, etc., or on advertising, um, or um, or on its products. For example, the American Heart Association uh, give the we, uh, for example, stick of approval because the exercise is good for your heart. 
the third type is um, co-branded events and programs. And I think the best-known example of a co-branded event is probably the Susan G. Komen Race for the Cure. This is just enormous. Um, started in 1982 by um, Susan's sister, and it has raised more than $1 billion for cancer research. Um, we see the pink product everywhere, and... Um, and this has been extended from things like Better Homes and Gardens, Pink Cookbook, to Pink iPad cases. And it's just right across the board. And the fourth most important kind of cause related is public service marketing campaigns. Um, this involves using um, marketing techniques to, enco to encourage behaviour change, such as um, um, the American Cancer Society and Novartis on their Great American Smokeout, which is which encourages people on one particular day of the year to make a plan to quit or, at very least, stop smoking on that day. So it's important, though, that um, cause-related marketing is different than corporate philanthropy. <laughs> it's a hard word. And corporate sponsorship, it is different. Corporate philanthropy is direct monetary gifts to a non-profit, where corporate sponsorship is where a corporation gives the non-profit money to hold an event or some other activity. In return, the corporation expects a certain amount of publicity and promotion by the way of signage, media exposure, etc. So let's look at a couple of really excellent examples to give you an idea of how you might uh, introduce a cause-related program. The Livestrong bracelet is a yellow silicon gel bracelet that was launched in um, 2004 as a fundraising item for the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Uh, this was founded, of course, by seven times uh, Tour de France winner Lance Armstrong. They're very simple design and just have the word Livestrong uh, stamped into them. The bracelet's part of the Wear Yellow Livestrong educational program. It raises money for cancer research and to raise cancer awareness and to encourage people to live life to the fullest. The bracelet sells individually as well as in packs of 10, 100 and 1,200. And it's part of an effort to raise $25.1 for the Lance Armstrong Foundation in cooperation with Nike, who originally developed the bracelet and manufactures them in Austin, Texas which happens to be Lance Armstrong's hometown. Nike sells the bracelet through Nike outlets worldwide and at thousands of retail outlets, mostly at checkout counters. And at a price tag of a dollar, they're in, within the range of most people. So Lance Armstrong wore the bracelet while he competed in the Tour de France. Almost immediately after doing so, people started buying the Livestrong bracelet. Politicians and celebrities began wearing them, and more than 10 million sold almost overnight. The 25 million target was achieved within six months, and there have now been 80 million Livestrong bracelets sold to date. So other charities have been inspired by this, and now there's a host of bracelets representing a wide range of various causes. Lay's Destination Joy and the Make-A-Wish Foundation is another great example. The Make-A-Wish Foundation grants wishes to ill children 
And this promotion had lots of elements. A donation when you bought a bag of product, celebrities, an awareness raising campaign, extensive media, PR, on package promotions and point of purchase, all fully integrated. So, but there's been a couple of poor cause-related campaigns. For example, the KFC campaign for juvenile diabetes. Kentucky Fried Chicken gave a dollar to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation for every half gallon of soda purchased for $2.99. A half gallon of soda has 800 calories and 86 teaspoons of sugar, and this is raising money for diabetes. This program was just wrong right from the start. You should never encourage people to buy products that that lead directly to the health conditions that they're trying to solve in the first place. So this was a disaster both for juvenile diabetes and for KFC. I'm I'm the global ambassador for kidney health, and my next guest is an expert on cause-related marketing. So don't forget to let me know what you'd like me to discuss on the program. Go to bobpritchard.com, tweet me, email me, contact me on LinkedIn, send me a bloody carry pigeon. I really don't care. Just get in touch with me and let's get this country moving again. I'll be back in just a couple of minutes with my first guest. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, No Bullshit Radio Show. I really appreciate you being with me. I'm the global ambassador for Kidney Health, so it's a charity that's close to my heart. Kidney disease is an insidious disease, and it's known as the silent killer. In the world's wealthiest countries, kidney-related diseases kill more people every day than breast cancer, prostate cancer, car accidents, drugs, and suicides combined. 
in working with Kidney Health Nonprofit, I understand just how difficult it is to develop cause-related marketing partnerships and celebrity endorsements. My first guest today is Anne Wilson, past Secretary of the International Federations of Kidney Foundations, a 75-nation body headquartered in the Netherlands. Anne is the CEO of Kidney Health Australia, holds degrees in Adolescent Health and Human Services, as well as qualifications in Welfare Studies, and is a graduate of Stanford University Executive Program for Non-Profit Leaders. She's also a director of ShareLife, an organisation committed to increasing the rate of organ donations, and a very close friend of mine. Anne will also be guest speaker at the World Kidney Cancer Convention in Rome, Italy, in March. Hi Anne, Happy New Year, and welcome to the show. Hi Bob, and, and thanks so much for having me on your program. It's a pleasure. So you've been a senior executive and a CEO of not-for-profits, primarily in the healthcare industry, or maybe exclusively in the healthcare industry, for 30 years. How tough is it to convince corporations to enter into cause-related partnerships in this economic climate that we find ourselves in today? Well, it's an incredibly tough time because, of course, uh, with the uh, downturn in the economy globally, I mean, what we're seeing is that corporations, the first things that, things that go are, uh, you know, expenditure on items that you would like to be able to uh, do things such as cause-related marketing exercises. Uh, and uh, so the charitable sector globally has been struggling incredibly uh, as a result of that downturn and as a result of a, a reduction in corporate support uh, globally. So, yeah, it, it's been really tough, and I think it's actually going to get tougher. We, we thought we would uh, uh, be, you know, kicking out of it a bit by now, but I think it's actually going to get tougher for us. It's going to get tougher for companies to commit to major campaigns uh, because they all cost a lot of money and, um, you know, th- that money is a discretionary spend isn't there anymore and marketing budgets are just not including that kind of spend uh, in their annual planning. Is that is that a factor of um, having to make sure that you're, uh, what you're offering corporations gives them a better return than they can get from, say, television or radio or print or whatever else they're doing? Well, yes, and I mean, you know, the metrics around cause-related marketing are really interesting because, you know, uh, the the research would indicate that people will actually switch brands uh, from a retail perspective to purchase a product that is related to a cause uh, if it's like for like. So from from a research perspective, cause-related marketing works, but... Um, then being able to translate that through from the corporation's perspective to increased sales is another issue. And, and the research around that isn't as solid and isn't as good. So when you're making those tough decisions in a marketing department and saying, you know, where are we going to spend our marketing dollars? You know, it's not just about being a good corporate citizen. Everybody wants that return on investment. Yeah. Yeah, and I've sat, I've sat across the desk from so many corporations and it's bloody hard no matter what you're selling. <laughs> um, so how hard is it to market, to market 
the kidney cause, say, as compared with breast cancer, for example? Well, you know, uh, the the term breast cancer sucks all the oxygen out of the room is just so right. Now, um, that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is that, yeah, I mean, of course, kidney disease isn't sexy. Um, A lot of people who've got kidney disease who are high-profile people actually are very private about their disease. So unlike breast cancer that's got lots of ambassadors, etc., People with kidney disease, if they're actually able to get a kidney transplant, like to get on with the rest of their lives, or they like to keep it a bit quiet. So we have a non-sexy disease. Um, We have the world that has been proliferated by the wonderful examples of cause-related marketing that have come out of the breast cancer world. And so, you know, from our perspective... We, we think that there are a lot of valuable lessons to be learned from the uh, cause-related marketing. You know, the, the breast cancer has turned the world pink, and um, that is fantastic. And organizations working in other disease states like the kidney need to be able to say, okay, you know, this is the broad spectrum of things that have happened in the breast cancer world that have been successful you know, how do we apply this to our area? What is it that we can learn from this area and then and then make our own? And uh, so it's tough. It's tough because, of course, there are so many competing, um, you know, causes out there that are all very valuable. And so the marketplace is so proliferated with messaging, with weeks, with months, with walks, with you know, various events, etc., right around the planet, that we need to be, you know, collaborative when we're working out our cause-related marketing strategies, and we need to think big, you know. We, sure. we need to, to look at how we can m- create messaging that is not only going to uh, help to bring the dollars in, because, of course, we all need that, but that's also going to change the behavior of the population at large with regard to the disease that we're representing. Yeah, it's, it, I find it extraordinary in having worked with you on kidney health and realizing just how tough it is. You think that 10 times more people are affected with kidney-related diseases than are affected by breast cancer, and yet it's 10 times harder to get money. It just seems to be sort of cattywampus to me you'd think that um, a, a disease that causes as much trouble as kidney disease would um, would do better it, it seems to me that the sexy you know tits are sexy so um, breast cancer becomes sexy um, building houses in in third world countries or down in Louisiana or somewhere it's kind of sexy and um, feeding kids in the third world when you're followed around by a whole tribe of cameramen is sexy and it's great exposure um, I guess kidney disease and, and things like bowel cancer aren't exactly sexy are they and I, I, I guess you know Nobody wants to sort of stick their hand up and say, although I'm no. proud to do it, but nobody... I've... Yeah, well, you know, let me give you some examples. More than 20 million people, that's 10% of people in the United States over the age of 20, have chronic kidney disease. And, you know, 
548,000 U.S. residents were under treatment for end-stage kidney disease. That means when they go on to dialysis um, at the end of 2008, according to the U.S. RDS. Now, they are big, big figures. And, you know, in Australia, we have 10,000 people being treated for end-stage kidney disease. We have 1.7 million Australians with chronic kidney disease. And as you said, we've got 50 Australians a day dying with kidney-related disease, etc. And that is more than breast cancer road death. So we've got, you know, globally some unbelievable statistics. And um, it is hard to believe that... Uh, by comparison, it is so hard to get our message out. So how do you think the corporate and business world's embraced um, um, cause-related marketing, say, compared with the retail sector, for example? Well, I, I think that's a, a, it's a really good question and really interesting comparison because, you know, the retail sector... Uh, has embraced it from the point of view of a whole plethora of products, many of which have nothing to do with the cause. Um, But they've all come on board and have said, you know, if you buy this product, um, a percentage or whatever, you're supporting breast cancer. And that goes from face creams to soaps to... to biscuits to, you know, it doesn't really matter. And that's where breast cancer has paved the way for other uh, causes with their cause-related marketing campaign. However, the corporate world is very different. So the corporate world will say, okay, uh, I'm a, a, a major petroleum company. You know, where are the synergies with our business and and let's identify those synergies, and we'll actually only support those causes. So, you know, you'll have a major cardboard and packaging company, a global company, and they'll only support environmental causes sure. because that's where their business priorities lie. So, you know, the, the reality is that the corporate world sees cause-related marketing far more uh, as it relates to whatever business they're in, and that's where the benefits are for them in terms of good corporate citizenship, and they have gone far more for alignment with their business goals rather than what's happened in the retail sector, which has really been more of a scattergun approach. Yeah. We're running out of time. So... How much of a boost do global champions and ambassadors, celebrities, whatever, give to a major cause? For example, if you could pick up a major celebrity tomorrow that that became a spokesperson for you, how big a difference would that make to fundraising, to getting people to go to events, all of that sort of stuff? It makes a huge difference because, you know, when you have a global celebrity that embraces your cause, Whatever that cause may be, uh, people, people stop and they listen. And, um, you don't need many words. You don't need huge ad campaigns. You just need the, the face of a celebrity saying, you know, I'm supporting this because whatever, whether it's the number of people in the country that get the disease, or whether, you know, this is a disease that needs our help, you know, and they can rally the support of their mates behind that. You know, 
the Oprah Winfrey's. You know, kidney disease is a disease that is far more prevalent in Indigenous populations worldwide uh, than in not in Indigenous populations. So having the support of the Oprah Winfrey's, of the A-listers in Hollywood uh, around the kidney cause globally would be a wonderful uh, thing for us to be able to have. You know, we don't have, unfortunately, the Olivia Newton-Johns or the Kylie Minogue's that have had dreadful experiences with breast cancer, etc. We just don't have that. And yeah, yeah. you know what I mean. So if Oprah, if you're listening to the show, pick up the phone, give me a call, send me an email, (laughs) bob at bobpritchard.com, and we would love to talk to you. And not only Oprah, anybody else that's around in Hollywood or one of your friends or somebody that you know that's a celebrity that might like to uh, be part of, a cause that um, kills more people than breast cancer, prostate cancer, car accidents, suicides and drug overdoses combined. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, Anne. That was great. Now, if you would like to contact Anne to discuss any of the topics she brought up, you can get her at Anne, A-N-N-E, dot Wilson at kidney dot org dot A-U. And I'll be back after the break with the second half of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Business Radio Show. This is a segment of the show where we speak to people who are involved in the entertainment business about what goes on behind the scenes. Not the glitz and glamour that we all read about in the gossip mags, but what the real job entails. We've had some great discussions with actors, producers, theme park attraction developers, speakers bureaus and lots of others over the last months. Today, my guest is Michael Bell, an actor and an extremely 
successful voice actor. Michael, welcome to the yep. show. Well, here I am down under. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. People have seen you as an actor, uh, heard you on animated films, television series and video games. Um, you've been in what, 75 animated films, including Aladdin, Karate Kid, Incredible Hulk, Voltron, X-Men, a whole litany of popular shows. And you're also on the board of directors of the Screen Actors Guild Hollywood Division. Oh, well, there I'm not anymore. Um, I'm no longer on the board of directors. I uh, decided to take a, a, a sabbatical. Vacation, a vacation. Yeah, I had to. It's 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 uh, it's it's hard work. You yeah, spend I'm a lot of time here, and you know. It's, so I'm, I'm taking it easy. Yeah. Good. Now, having read your bio, all I can say is, wow, you've enjoyed an incredible career. But it's a very yeah. unusual occupation. Um, kids don't normally say, when I grow up, I want to be a fireman, a policeman, a plumber, or a voice actor. Um, how did this amazing career happen for you? Well, I'm not sure it happened. I think um, it's, it's, it's a bit of everything. I um, always wanted it. I think since I was five years old, six years old, I studied, I trained, I, I went to... Uh, High School of Performing Arts in New York. Uh, um, I studied with private teachers. I did everything I possibly could to uh, to achieve uh, success, which isn't always uh, uh, isn't always uh, possible, obviously, because so much luck and uh, plays into it. And I came out to uh, Hollywood, spent some time with her, with. Uh, uh, family and uh, uh, slowly but surely uh, worked my way into the uh, industry. And by the way, that didn't take place till I was well into my thirties. Oh wow! You, know, most, you, you, yeah, you read now about kids doing it very early or uh, doing it in their teens, or uh, but the difference then was in the sixties. Uh, there weren't that many uh, television shows with young people in it. Right. Most of the uh, people in TV shows came from uh, vaudeville. Uh, and uh, or films, and uh, you know, TV was, was wasn't new because it came into effect probably in the 40s, but it really didn't reach its zenith well into the 50s. And by that time, you had a lot of movie stars that were doing television, sure, and uh, and vaudeville people. And I was uh, six feet two, so here I was, this young guy, six feet two, and, and uh, the movie stars at that time. I think, I, I think maybe John Wayne and one or two others were taller than me. Everybody else was shorter than me, so I couldn't play their son. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't, you know, I'd go out for stuff and they'd say, you're too tall. Right. So uh, it took a, it took a while until well into my 30s and then I, I started to play heavies and, you know, be a bad guy yep. and uh, things of that nature. And then eventually it started to take off for me and I got into contract to Universal Studios. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a slow uh, evolution, but uh, thankfully it, it did take place. When you get a voice role such as Bruce Banner in The Incredible Hulk, for example, mm -hmm. how do you determine yeah. what voice you're going to create for that character? Well, you look, they show you, first of all, they show you uh, prototypes, the, the artwork. Right. And uh, predicated on, on uh, what the character looks like, big, uh, creepy-looking, funny-looking, silly, whatever it is you kind of developed over that period of time something that will move you into that character uh, and try to uh, uh, link it all together to what would that character sound like. Well, I often have chosen um, for the odd characters, 
right. um, I've often chosen as a as a prototype uh, film stars that uh, that I've imitated. Oh, okay. And, uh, and I, I I I teach voice animation, and one of the things I teach is to plagiarize, don't plagiarize. That's why God made your eyes. You plagiarize. <laughs> so you plagiarize someone else's character, and then you develop your own out of that at the same time. Uh, when it came to the, the straight characters like Bruce Banner, that's my voice. Um, I think uh, the character of Ben Cooper in uh, in one of these series uh, again is my voice. Uh, uh, there are characters where it's just me, right. it's my young voice character. But the other stuff is uh, a combination of elements. And as I teach it, it's kind of like Mr. Potato Head. Are you familiar with the little? Yes, I am. Yeah, it's that you 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 do a different angle each time. Right. So if you've got a voice that's uh, uh, a character voice, uh, you know, you might squeeze your voice a little bit somewhere in this area over here, or yeah. you might add a, a bit of a, a dialect to it, and, you know, so he's got, it's the same voice, <laughs> but it's a little bit different, right? And you, something else comes into it, yeah. and or you turn it off to the side, and so now your essence are like this, so you get a different character. So that's, uh, that's, that's uh, how it works. So how do you get back into voice if you have to re- do the character again, you just hear it and instantly it comes back to you, or does it take a bit of work to? Yeah, yeah. You, you, once you develop a character for a series, you kind of, you kind of lock into it, right? Um, and then if if you auditioned and you go in for the audition, they say, "Do you remember what you did?" And you go, "No." And they go, "Okay, <laughs> here we're, we're going to play it back for you. We'll give you, we'll give you a, a taste of what you did for us," and and uh, we do that. I now, of course, now with the computer, we have uh, the IMDb, you have, uh, I'm sorry, we have the MP3, so I'm able to record, keep it, and then if I happen to get the audition, they say, you're going in for the character you read for, I'll just play it back on my set to remind myself of what it was I did. So, with an animated film, do they do the animation first, and then you do the voice to fit the mouth movements, or is the mouth oh, no, movements... no, 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 that would be, no. I mean, that would be much too hard. You you record first, and the artist uh, creates around you. That way you can add things. It's like um, uh, years ago, uh, and it's awful. I'm trying to remember his name, and I can't remember his name. Marvelous actor uh, who did um, um, the Flintstones. Right. And when he went out for the Flintstones to play Fred, he's the one that added uh, uh, Abadabadoo. Oh, wow. And he couldn't have done that because it wasn't written. So he went in and he did his thing. He seen him, um, Martha, whatever the character's name, and he called her and whatever. And then he went, Abadabadoo, just as a joke. And he said, we love it. Yeah, wow. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, it, seems, it always seems to me to be an extremely think, difficult thing for either you or the animators to, to synchronize. Oh, yeah, we couldn't have done Well, I have synchronized that when I did the Spielberg's... Uh, um, uh, a Wish for Wings that Work, Opus, A Wish for Wings that Work from the Opus series by Jesse yes. Beckett. Um, they had another actor who did the original, right. and then they 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 trashed him, and they they, um, uh, they went with another actor who was wonderful, who they brought in, and he did, we did it, and then they changed their mind, and then I'm told that Spielberg um, auditioned again for the character, and um, they, and he said, which one of these do you like? And he said, I like that voice, which was me, thankfully. And I went in and I had to uh, I had to dub it to uh, the animated because uh, oh. it was already done. Wow, that yeah, that would be that would be difficult. That's a, 
what makes a great voice actor? I mean, what are the criteria that makes somebody sensational? You know, I, I don't know what makes a great voice actor. I think, I think there's a certain amount of, besides the, the facile quality, the ability to create characters, uh, there has to be a certain amount of honesty. I think you have to, I think you have to be a good actor. Right. I really do. So yeah, I, I think just doing a voice is, is not enough. There's a, I've had plenty of students who come to me and they'll have a voice note, but there's nothing behind it. It's, uh, it's kind of like a, a flat. Um, uh, that you work uh, when you're working in the studios. It, it's not a real building. It's just a frontage. And, and you know, you know this is not real. It doesn't, it's, it's just not real. Whereas a, a really good actor can create a character and, and get involved in it and, uh, and uh, whether he's creating a, a different voice or whether it's his own voice, I think being a good actor is important. So can any good actor be a good voice actor? Probably, but not to the extent where they can do three voices. We have a lot of good actors, but right. they only do their voice. Yeah. They, they are hired to do their character, their voice, just themselves. Uh, but if you say to them, I want you to play a, uh, your, 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 your piece of toast, right. or you're a, a turtle, <laughs> uh, we, they're not going to do that. They'll, they'll just do their voice because they haven't trained as we do, or spend a lot of time as we do, uh, listening and then saying, mm, that sounds like an interesting character, I'm going to do that. I listen to the radio. If I hear a character in the radio, I will immediately click into overdrive and, and, and do that. And yeah. so now I'll put that aside and maybe I'll use that later on. Yeah, it seems strange to think that you're trained to become a piece of toast. <laughs> yes, yeah, so but you have to think, what would a piece of toast be? Okay, so you're a piece of toast. So are you burnt toast? Your voice might be a little scratchy because you're a piece of boy, a burnt toast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you a young piece of toast? You know, are you brand new? You know, you just popped out of a toaster. You know, it's it's just uh, what you what you hang on it. <laughs> so, what's the hardest part of being a voice actor then? I think when you're when we do a, a video games, because you you not only do three characters, you also wind up having to die many ways because the player <laughs> says, okay, he dies with a, I'm seeing the shit, he cuts his head off or he falls off a cliff or he gets burned to death or he's bubbling in acid and you have to do, you have to die all those ways. Mm, sounds gruesome. So who's the greatest yeah. voice actor of all time? Um, I guess we hear a lot about um, Mel Blanc and, and Nancy Cartwright. Oh, yeah. I guess we hear about them so. all the time. No, I, I wouldn't say Nancy, and I like Nancy. She's a nice girl, and and, uh, and she's been enormously successful with uh, uh, with her series. But uh, I think the 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 all time great is uh, Mel Blanc. Right. For me, Mel Blanc, and I, I was lucky because I got to work with him in, in the early in my career, and uh, his son Noah, and he is absolutely sensational because he was a wonderful actor. If you listen carefully, it's his characters change, but if you listen, his voice is behind it. You, you can hear Mel's voice. Right. But he is so good, and he's given his characters such a wonderful, um, um, layered character, such layered characters, that he takes you into that world. He takes you into his world, and you're, you're, you're sucked right into it. That, as far as you're concerned, is Daffy Duck, and that is Bugs Bunny, and, and, uh, and, and Putty Cat. I mean, it's, it's, he's, he was just sensational. Absolutely sensational. So what's next for Michael Bell? 
Well, Michael Bell, last year I directed 10 episodes of a, of a, of a webisode right. called um, the, the LeBrons, for LeBron James. Yes. And uh, that was fun. Got to do a little voices, a couple of voices, but I really enjoyed the, the directing aspect of it. I'm presently um, co-writing a, a film called Sparks, which uh, we will start filming in January. Yep. Uh, which is adapted from the uh, the comic book, Sparks. Okay. Well, thank, and, uh, that's exciting. Thank you very, very much for your time. Michael, that was great. That's really interesting because I've often wondered a lot of things about how you do that, um, do voice acting, and now we know. If, we, if, yeah, somebody would yeah, like to get, if somebody would like to get in touch with you, Michael, how can they do that? Well, I'm on Facebook, as is everybody, I think. Yeah, um, I think I think dictators are on Facebook. So, Six hundred yeah, million of us, I think. Yeah, so they can get to me on Facebook and ask me questions, whatever it is. And uh, I hope someday, now that I'm talking to you guys down there, that I get invited out to uh, to one of your conventions in uh, in Australia. Okay, I'll uh, see what I I'll see what I can do. Yeah, you got your transformers out there and GI Joes. Uh, get me out there, guys. Okay, I'll try. Great okay. talking you to you, it. and it's I'll be back. After this short break. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. To the Bob Pritchard Business Radio Show. I've just come back from Sydney where uh, I enjoyed the most fantastic fireworks display on Sydney Harbour with my family before heading back to LA. There's something about that uh, fireworks display on Sydney Harbour just is really hard to beat. So if, if you've never seen it and you're feeling like a trip to Australia, you should go for New Year's Eve. It's wonderful. So I hope everybody had a wonderful New Year's Eve. And I wish you all the best for 2012 in both your business and your personal life. You know, I'm um, 
I'm still getting over that KFC promotion for diabetes. I'm a diabetic, and uh, to think that um, a company could consciously get involved with the promotion, promoting a food that's got 86 teaspoons of sugar in it is almost beyond belief. However, these things happen. Now, all of the news we see and hear today seems to be pretty gloomy, but um, don't let it affect you. There's still trillions of dollars floating around out there, and some of it's got your name on it. And if you work hard and you're positive, there's no reason why you can't grab a big chunk of that and be successful. If you work hard, you'll beat all the people that don't work hard enough. And this week, I'm on a campaign that needs your commitment if you want to protect your freedom. The privacy surrounding mobile phones is back in the headlines again and attracting the attention of civil liberties groups, regulators and lots of others in the wake of revelations that a software company as well as wireless carriers are tracking how you use your mobile phone. Now, we need to be up in arms about this as well. The latest mobile privacy scandal erupted just a few weeks ago when a video on YouTube by programmer Trevor Eckhart showed how the carrier IQ software works, claiming that software records keystrokes from mobile phones and sends your personal information to the carriers and carrier IQ. Jeffrey Chester, executive director of the Center for Digital Democracy in Washington, said the carrier IQ revelation is a critical flashpoint for the industry because it provides a rare X-ray into their consumer data collection practices that threaten personal privacy. We expect the FTC to become more aggressively addressing mobile marketing over the next year with carrier IQ serving as a key test case. Now, to be fair, Carrier IQ claims that the software is used only to track errors that can be used by wireless carriers to improve their networks. The company, as well as wireless carriers and handset manufacturers, have denied any wrongdoing and insist that your personal information is being protected. But according to the Centre for Digital Democracy, the carrier IQ technology, it's not about network management, as the company and the wireless carriers insist, but is targeting users and is representative of the mobile marketing business model. Now, Carrier IQ skites about this on its website. It says, Carrier IQ is gathering information on more than 140 million handsets. And the company states that it gives carriers unprecedented insight into their customers' mobile phone experience. So Carrier IQ continuously spies on people through their own phones. In a discussion with Wire, that's the US technology magazine, Carrier IQ admitted Quote, they have a treasure trove of user data. You shouldn't be surprised that you're carrying around an instrument that is feeding back to the carrier every piece of data that you've been transmitting to friends and colleagues and all your business information. In fact, everything that you're putting through your mobile phone. 
Now, people who work in network construction and security tell me just how simple it is to do this. Android and iOS phones are just Unix bosses. So these tasks aren't much more difficult to implement on phones than they are on servers. And as useful as they may be, smartphones aren't worth giving away all your personal privacy and all of your details. Certainly not without your consent. So how many people out there take the attitude, it's kind of the same as um, uh, cameras in the street. People say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong, so why the hell do I care if somebody takes my photograph or if somebody listens into my phone conversations? Well, that's okay while the people who get the information do the right thing. But there will be increasing temptation for these companies to use some of this information. Now, that might seem, they might think that it's seemingly innocuous at the time. But once you start doing it, where do you stop? What's to stop going a little bit further each time? And what happens if carrier IQ is taken over by a less scrupulous company? And what happens if these companies are hacked? I mean, ask one of the 250 million people who've had their personal data hacked in the last couple of years and the bedlam and the pain and the heartache that it's caused, not to mention destroying their credit rating. So please don't take the I'm not doing anything wrong, so why do I care attitude. This is precisely the mentality that allow these practices to occur in the first place. Just ask yourself, do you want the world to know all of your business? Be privy to your personal emails and your texts? So you can either throw your smartphone in the trash or, preferably, support legislation that correctly stops this type of nonsense as fraud and a violation of your rights. This is the latest hit to mobile marketing on the privacy front in a year when it was also revealed that Google and Apple's mobile tracking practice were broader than consumers and legislators originally realised. Several lawsuits have stemmed from this, um, including ones that target carrier IQ as well as the phone makers. And these suits claim that the companies are gathering private consumer data without consent and that this information could be transmitted to third parties. Here, here, no question. Attempts by the carriers to improve their reliability, especially those like me who seem to experience drop calls all the time, it's welcome. We need it, but not at the cost of our privacy. The issues with carrier IQ point to the need for mobile companies to do a better job of explaining what information is being gathered and how it's being used. Last week's interview with America's Got Talent star Frank Miles got a lot of attention. Frank certainly built a substantial following. He's a terrific guy, extremely talented, and has a great story. During the week, I received an email from James Morrison of Sheffield in England, who says, Dear Bob, thanks for a wonderful show. Your message is so easy to understand, even for somebody like me who has a business, but no formal marketing training. Great show. I love it. I've learned so much. I bought your new book on Amazon and applying the principles to my business. So, 
James, since you've already got a copy of my book, I'll send you a copy of my six CD series, Marketing Wizard, as a gift for reading you on air. So don't forget, I want to hear from you. So visit my website at bobpritchard.com. Sign up for my newsletter, email me, tweet me, become my friend on LinkedIn and tell me what it is that you want to talk about. And don't forget to grab a copy of my new book at your favorite bookstore or at Amazon. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again same time next week. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.